Dr. Raywin Tierney is one of the world's leading fertility specialists and gynecologists. She's currently a visiting medical officer, fertility subspecialist at the Royal Hospital for Women and in private practice with IVF Australia. She's helped thousands of people conceive and is the perfect expert for us to wrap up our third and final instalment of our hormonal special. So most of our listeners are in their 20s or early yes. 30s. Why should we care about fertility and why do we need to start thinking about it prior to wanting to have a child? Yeah, okay. It's very important that women should always consider their fertility and it's not taught in schools, sadly. Mm. And the reason is because women have a biological clock. And to give you an idea, um, us women, where um, our ovaries are made inside when we're inside our mums in her uterus and they're made at about 13 weeks pregnancy and our eggs are formed during that time uh, while we are a fetus and by the time we're about six months inside our mum, we have about four million eggs and then by the time we're born as little girls and little babies, we then have about between two to four million eggs. So there's been a bit of a drop in the egg numbers. And what happens over time as we age even as little girls, our eggs start to deplete. And so every day and every month as a little girl, when we're running around and on the swings and in kindergarten at play school and then at school, uh, our eggs are dying. And so by the time we reach puberty, which might be around between 10 and 12, uh, we have about 400,000 eggs left, which is quite incredible really, this egg depletion. Mm. And so when we start ovulating, many women don't realise this, but when we ovulate, what happens is about 20 eggs start to grow each month. So when we get our period, there's a group of eggs that just start to grow. But by the time we're in day seven into our cycle and our period stopped, only one egg becomes the dominant egg and the other sort of 20 or 19 eggs go off and die. And they undergo what's called cell death. And that one egg ovulates. So that's the best egg of the month. And this happens every month. And so as we age and as we grow through our teenage years and when we're through school and uni, our eggs are depleting every month. If we've also got conditions like endometriosis or we're having surgery on our ovaries, we use that can also deplete our eggs even further. And as we deplete our eggs, we eventually use them up and then we go into menopause. And so women... It's really important that you understand uh, this concept of uh, a reducing ovarian reserve. And ovarian reserve means your store of eggs and your ovary at any one time. And so if you're a 34-year-old woman and you're deciding to conceive right now, just remember that your eggs are now 34 years of age, so they're the same age as you, uh, and those eggs are less in number compared to when uh, you would have been 20 and so people always ask me, uh, when's the right time to have a baby? And in fact, we are designed to have children when we're probably in our 20s to, to early 30s. That is what we are designed for in human reproduction. However, women are now delaying motherhood for many reasons, and, and they're good reasons. Uh, you know, we want to get our career, we want to be financially stable, uh, we haven't found the right man, or, you know, we want to sort of go out and sort of see the world. And so we put motherhood on um, on halt. And 
you need to understand that when you put motherhood on halt, you just are reducing your odds of uh, being pregnant later on when you get older. And so to give you an idea with ovarian reserve, when you're 20, your chances of being pregnant are actually very high, and they're probably around about 30% per month. By the time you reach the age of 30, they'll be down to about 20% per month. By the time you're 35, your chance of conceiving as a mother would be about 15% per month. By the time you're 40, it's 10% per month. By the time you're 42, uh, your chances of being pregnant would be about 5%, and at 45, it's 2%. And of course, then we go through menopause around about about 50. So I'm always telling my beautiful women that come and see me um, to always consider their fertility. Um, don't delay motherhood. I think that would probably be my uh, main sort of goal to tell you ladies um, and protect your fertility. I think the other thing is to protect your fertility. You know, when I mean protect Smoking affects your fertility. You know, make sure you're not going to be exposed to anything like sexually transmitted diseases that can block your tubes and affect your fertility. Um, if you think you might have something called endometriosis, get that investigated. Um, I know it sounds silly, but being on the contraceptive pill helps protect your fertility does as it? well. So, how does that work? Yeah. So what the pill does, it um, it stops ovulation. Surprisingly, you still lose your eggs. <laughs> so even on the contraceptive pill, your eggs are still dying every month. Um, there's this time cell death inside your ovary. But what the pill does, uh, it can help shrink up any endometriosis and just keep it latent uh, for a while and possibly prevent it from growing further. Uh, we know the pill has got really good protective effects against cervical can getting cervical cancer mm. and bowel cancer as well. Oh, really? So uh, there are some great benefits to the pill, of, of course, including contraception, reducing uh, period pain and as well as reducing period bleeding and preventing anemia in women. So um, it's while you're on the pill that does help with your fertility in the meantime. So I've heard that there's that if you are on the pill for a long time, which I think most of our listeners would be, so say you were on the pill from maybe the age of 14 or 15, 16, and then you're now in your mid-20s, that's almost 10 years, I've heard that that's <coughs> that getting off the pill and trying to fall pregnant is, straight away. is really hard because you've been having like almost a kind of like a fake bleed. How? What, <coughs> what are your thoughts on that? The question is... Uh, does being on the pill for a long time affect your fertility? And the, the short answer to that is no, it doesn't affect your fertility. The long answer to that <laughs> is because um, evolutionary-wise, we we've been, over the last thousand years, until about 100 years ago, women were either always pregnant or always breastfeeding and therefore never had periods. Mm. And in fact, woman only ever had 20 periods in her whole lifetime. Lucky her. <laughs> Lucky her in a way. Yes, that's right. But it meant that she was either always breastfeeding yeah, or pregnant. <laughs> and so what breastfeeding does, it just suppresses the ovary. And that is what the pill does. Mm. The pill is designed to suppress ovulation. So where do you think that myth came from, that, that being on the pill for a long time? interferes with your fertility yeah I think probably when the six in the 1960s when the pill first came onto the market 
there was always this fear that it's not natural, you know, and mm. it might do harm and, um, you know, you're taking you need hormones and all that sort of thing. So I think that myth kind of came about from the 1960s onwards. Okay. However, I just want to um, mention that the pill has given, it's probably been one of the most amazing things that has changed women's life. Mm. And has given women a lot more power to take control of her own fertility, which is amazing. Yeah. It really is. It has changed and helped women since the 1960s where we are today. So yes, you can be on the pill for a long time. And even more, you can actually take the pill continuously if you want and not have a bleed. Uh, the pill does protect your fertility. Uh, studies show that it can help uh, reduce the incidence and, and suppression of endometriosis. So if you're someone who has endometriosis, it can help dampen that down. The other great benefits of the pill, it reduces period pain. It also reduces the amount of your bleeding by 30%, so it can also help uh, with reducing anemia. Um, it can help with acne. So there are many benefits to being on the pill. I mean, you must always speak to your doctor first before, you know, um, about whether being on the pill or not. But uh, don't be frightened of it. It's been around for a long time time there are many many studies now on the effects and side effects of a contraceptive pill and the benefits and not benefits what can we do now to improve um, our hormones and fertility health in the future well all women and men too need to look after their fertility when it comes to hormones uh, we have this regulatory system reproductive system in our body that's controlled hormone pathway between the brain, our ovaries and our uterus. And same for men. So there is a hormone pathway between their brain and their testes. And it's very, when it comes to protecting your fertility, um, which in turn will protect your hormones as well, it's really all about lifestyle and it's all about weight and exercise and what you eat um, and what you put in your mouth. So my recommendations to all my couples would be be a really healthy weight. So yes, weight can affect your hormones and weight can affect your fertility. And so if you're really underweight, when I mean underweight, you've got a body mass index below 18, uh, what can happen is that your brain knows that when you're really underweight, the brain knows that you're not competent enough uh, to conceive a child and carry a child. And so the brain uh, switches off that hormone pathway sometimes and can lead to amenorrhea which means no periods in women. And so weight is an important issue when it comes to hormone production and fertility. So being the ideal weight, uh, and that's body mass index between um, 19 and 25. Um, if you're at a body mass index over 25, then you're considered overweight. If you have a body mass index over 30, then you're considered obese, which a lot of us are over. Mm. Uh, in the Western world. And so I think the first thing would be to have a healthy weight. That's the first thing in controlling and helping your hormones and fertility. The second thing would be your diet. We know that having certain foods can affect your hormones and fertility. And these are all the things like saturated fats. There's been an interesting study out recently that was presented to the European Society of Human Reproduction uh, that um, being on a high diet of like the hamburgers and saturated fats can do harm to fertility and certainly 
directly straight onto sperm. It can affect sperm. Um, and, of course, it goes on to our waist and hips, um, which will in turn will affect our fertility as well. The other factor is smoking. So smoking will affect our fertility. It can reduce probably possibly our egg numbers. Mm -hmm. So, ladies, if you're a smoker, yes, it can affect your eggs. You know, it can cause changes in your eggs leading to uh, DNA abnormalities within inside your egg, making it an abnormal egg and less likely to fertilise, and it can possibly reduce your egg numbers. So a healthy weight, a really healthy diet, eating uh, all the fruits and vegetables and, you know, protein. Um, you can still eat meat, but maybe sort of reduce uh, the red meat content and eat white meat or fish. And make sure you're getting dairy and vitamin D. Vitamin D is really important for fertility and hormone production. What about alcohol? We don't know as much about alcohol. It's a great question, and I'm asked that all the time. We do know that alcohol binging has some effect. We know that alcohol affects uh, pregnancy. You know, women, when their babies, when their mum's pregnant, and so you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. We know that binging affects sperm. But having one or two glasses of alcohol a day, uh, there's still no proof yet that it will do harm. Mm -hmm. I would say slow it down. If you're trying to get pregnant to protect your fertility, then, you know, reduce your alcohol down. Anyway, just for well-being and health, you know, down to just drinking maybe three to four times a week and maybe just one or two maximum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm always it is still a lot. Yeah. It is. But you know, the evidence is still not. I'm just talking about what yeah. the evidence is. Mm. Okay. And it's all about um, practicing evidence-based medicine. Mm. And so everything I'm telling you is all based around where the evidence is and if we have evidence at all. Okay. Coffee, you are allowed coffee. So actually coffee, uh, having one or two coffees a day or having one or two teas a day actually will not affect your fertility. And there's been some really good evidence around that. Uh, we've done some really big studies on IVF couples going through IVF and looking at their caffeine intake. And it was found that uh, once you drink four cups of coffee a day or more is when it can impact probably on fertility wow. then. So everyone, you can have that cappuccino in the morning <laughs> <laughs> or your you know, double espresso, that's fine. Have a really nutritious diet. And diet, when I mean diet, I'm talking about a diet that uh, you've got folate in, uh, you've got vitamin C, vitamin E, zinc. These are all really good for mm. fertility and hormones. Selenium's really good yeah. as well. Okay. What about um, there's been a lot of studies and a lot of media hype around microplastics and plastics in general. Mm. Yes. Um, and apparently we ingest, I can't remember the exact figure, but yes. an uh, like insane amount of microplastics every day mm. just from in the air or, you know, mm. heating food in Tupperware mm. containers, drinking out of plastic coffee cups. Is that something that we should be worried about? Um, the short answer to that is probably no. Okay. However, uh, yes, there are studies that show, in, in animal studies, that when you expose animals to all these products, um, that, yes, it does affect their hormones and does affect their um, development of their reproduction and so development of the genita genitalia. Mm. And so in animals, it's found that it can change their genitalia wow. a bit. So, and, and their fertility. Um, I wouldn't 
say to people is just stop using plastics. Okay. Ideally for the, just for the world, you should probably cut yes, down and yes. stop using plastics. But um, don't get too caught up with that. Otherwise, you'd never live a life. True. You've got to live a life. And, and diet and exercise and um, weight are probably the bigger issues. Yeah. Yes, do cut down on plastics. And, yes, I think there probably is some aspect of um, plastics affecting fertility and hormones. But so far we haven't seen a major difference. Mm. So I think on the lesser scale... Um, do cut back on that use, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't. I would be concentrating more on the on the lifestyle. Okay, it's good to know. Uh, what are the early signs of fertility trouble, and what should we be looking for, or are there red flags that that come up that you can you can shed some light on? Uh, when it comes to red flags, um, if it's before you're trying to conceive, so if you're someone, a man or a woman, who, who has had or been diagnosed with sexually transmitted disease, like chlamydia or gonorrhea, um, then potentially that could affect your fertility. And so if you've had, ever had that diagnosis and been treated, yes, even before you're wanting to have a family, your fertility can be affected. And so what chlamydia and gonorrhea can do, it can block up a woman's fallopian tubes, and that will affect her fertility in the future mm. when starting to conceive. For a man, it can block a pipe called the vas deferens and so sperm can't get out or less likely to get out. And so that will affect his fertility. And so this would be a red flag to someone before trying to conceive and they would probably, when they pair up, to think about getting that tested, their tubes tested. Other red flags would be, yes, if you've got polycystic ovarian syndrome and you're not ovulating that frequently because you've, got PCOS then you may have some difficulty getting pregnant but women with PCOS still go on and conceive naturally so most women do conceive naturally but it may take that a little bit longer but that can still be a bit of a red flag and they can go and talk to their doctor mm. about that and there's a lot of really good simple treatments to help women ovulate okay. so this is all prior if you're someone who's had surgery so someone who's had surgery in their pelvis so any woman who's had surgery in their pelvis or endometriosis and surgery for endometriosis, that's definitely a red flag and possibly that may affect their fertility as well. So they're all pretty big signs. They're big signs, yeah. yes. Um, and which, in, in which case they would probably already know that. You'd hope so, like yes, yeah, right. GP. You would hope that their doctors would talk yeah. about that with them. Yeah. Surprisingly, they often <laughs> don't. It's really interesting, I know. Scary. Yes. I think the biggest red flag, the biggest red flag or sign is female age. Mm. Women need to understand that their age is the biggest factor as a flag. So our biological clock is real. The biological clock is real, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So... We're obviously having children later in life, as, yeah. as we, as you mentioned before. Yes. Um, what is the ideal age, and if, and and let's talk about freezing eggs. Yes, the well, the ideal age, and we are designed to have children in our twenties and early thirties. That is how we are designed. Women are delaying motherhood, and just to give you an idea, back in um, nineteen. 91, the average age of motherhood was around about 
25. Mm. <laughs> now in 2007, and this is from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the average age of being a first-time mother is 31.7 years. So you can imagine it's a first-time mother and then to become a second-time mother, so having your second baby, you might be about 35 or even 37. Mm. And so we are delaying motherhood and that's how it becomes more difficult. So I'm seeing many women now in my clinic uh, who don't have a partner and who don't want to be a mother yet, and so they're considering egg freezing. Mm -hmm. And egg freezing is where we can take your eggs out of your ovary at that time of your age and we can freeze it at that time. So if you're a 30-year-old woman and we remove your eggs and we freeze them for future use, then they are 30 years old when they're put on ice. And the theory for that is that you can go back and use those eggs later on. When you're a bit older, say you're 35 and you're having difficulty conceiving, you can go back to those eggs and thaw them and their eggs age at 30 and therefore have a high chance of being fertilised and implanting. Right. But it's not 100%. It's not an absolute guarantee. Okay. Is it very expensive yeah. to freeze eggs? Yeah, it, yeah look, it, um, it is expensive. Yeah. Yeah, so if, you don't, if it's for social reasons, which means you don't have a Medicare reason, then you're looking at about $11,000 you are to freeze your eggs on ice. If there's a medical reason and you're single, like endometriosis, and we know that that can impact on your egg numbers and, and all that. Or if you're a woman who has almost no eggs left and she's single, that's another medical reason. Mm. Or sometimes a woman who've had infertility and then they're single again and they're getting older and they want to put their eggs on ice, that's another medical reason. Then Medicare will kick in and help pay for 50% that's really great. of that, which is a wonderful thing. Yeah, yes. amazing. For yeah. those that really need it, yes. That's right, yeah. It's just if it was more accessible then yes. it would almost trump, well, no, could trump IVF if it was more accessible to freeze your eggs and then they'd be healthier when you, when Correct. you needed them. That's right. Correct. Yeah. If you could freeze your eggs, if women froze their eggs, say, when they're 25, and, I mean, it's all good to conceive naturally. Yes, definitely. <laughs> However, if you're a 35-year-old and it is, and you might not be conceiving naturally or there may be other issues like the partner's sperm may not be as good, then you could take those... 25-year-old eggs out and you would have a very high chance of probably conceiving mm. with those younger eggs. This is sort of a new technique now that we've been doing for the past uh, five years and many women are coming through now and freezing eggs. And I can assure you, if I was a 25-year-old again going through med school, I would have frozen my eggs. But unfortunately, that wasn't around when I was going through medicine and I delayed motherhood and sadly, I'm not a mother. Um, I'm a stepmom and have three beautiful stepchildren mm. that I adore, and that's one of my big regrets. Mm. I'm now in my fifties, and I truly wish I was a mum. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I um, and I do a lot of egg freezing for my patients, and I totally understand how they feel. Is that why you wanted to go into this line of work? Yeah, I'd always loved this area. It was just beautiful. I mean, I've always wanted to help women, which is why mm. I wanted to be an obstetrician gynaecologist. And that was the idea is, you know, empowering women. And then once I became an obstetrician gynaecologist, I just loved all the um, reproductive hormones and the reproductive medicine 
and helping people have a family and again it's empowering people to take control of their fertility and so that's when I subspecialized further and went to Cambridge and became a fertility subspecialist and it, honestly it truly is an amazing job and I'm really privileged and I love going to work every day and you know there are stressful times sometimes when your patients don't get pregnant mm-hmm. and there are other times when they get pregnant and you know it's like oh my god yeah you celebrate with them <laughs> we do yeah, yeah it's lovely and other times you know people don't and you sit down and you have a cry with them yeah yeah I just wish I could just wave that wand and put little fairy dust you know on everyone to um, get them pregnant, but um, so amazing. Yeah, but sadly, you know, um, I look. There are a lot of fertility treatments around, and IVF is great. It truly is a very good way to help people get pregnant, but it's expensive. Mm. How much is it roughly? Uh, it depends on where you are. So in Australia, we're very lucky. So Australians are very lucky that we have Medicare here yes. that helps subsidise it by fifty percent. Wow. So it's amazing. And so it will still cost about 10 grand up front, but you'd get about 5,000 back from Medicare, the taxpayer. Whereas overseas in America, you're looking at $40,000 per cycle or in Europe, you know, $20,000 per cycle. So it is expensive. But if people need it, it is a very good way to help them conceive. More often than not, do people need to go through a few rounds or what are the chances of, of getting pregnant on that first round of IVF? Yeah. Well, again, it's all related to female age and the age of a woman's egg. Male factors are important mm. too in the health of the sperm, but the average chance of getting pregnant with one embryo is about 40%. So if you're a, say, 30 to 35-year-old woman and you're doing IVF, the chance is 40% per embryo, mm-hmm. which is pretty good because mm. 20 years ago it was only around about, 10 to 15%. So IVF pregnancy rates have improved over the last 20 years, mainly due to the laboratory Mm -hmm. and what we do in the laboratory and how we treat eggs and how we treat sperm and embryos. Right. So what's the process? The process for IVF involves a woman having hormone injections. So we need to grow her eggs. So at the moment, a woman ovulates one egg a month, whereas we don't want one egg to freeze. We'd like get 10 eggs or possibly 15 eggs and so we'd give women hormone injections daily and it looks a little bit like an insulin pen we call it an EpiPen and so they inject themselves once a day with this EpiPen of a hormone called follicle stimulating hormone which stimulates the follicles to grow so do you remember when I said that every month there's a group of follicles that start to grow then they die off Uh well the FSH injections keep those eggs growing mm-hmm. and so the idea is to help those eggs to continue to grow and a woman will be on those hormone injections for about 10 days to 12 days and during that time she's monitored so in our clinic we would monitor women with blood tests and with and scans and we can tell exactly how many follicles are growing with eggs in them um, we actually do give a second hormone during IVF and it stops her from ovulating and it keeps the eggs inside the ovary mm-hmm. while we're growing them Mm-hmm. And then after about two weeks of hormone injections, I would then go and take the eggs out, and that's a day off work. And so women would come into our day surgery unit uh, that have a sedation for about 20 minutes, and there's no cuts. So oh, there's no. no cuts. So how it works is with a very thin ultrasound probe that goes into the vagina, there's a small thin needle on it, and we go with a needle through the vagina into the ovary. 
Wow. So it's quite Crazy. a simple procedure. And we go into the ovary, into each of the follicles, and we just drain the follicles and take the eggs out. And then when we take the eggs out, if it's for egg freezing, we freeze those eggs on that day. Uh, if, they're partner, if they have a partner, we get his sperm, and we put the sperm and eggs together in the laboratory. And nowadays we have these amazing little incubators called the embryoscope. And what it is, we can leave it in there, and they can stay there, and they're videoed. 24 hours wow. and we can watch it all in time-lapse video for five days and watch the eggs fertilize and wow. then watch them develop into embryos and divide and by two days they're four cells and by three days the embryos are eight cells and then by the fifth day so we grow them for five days and by the fifth day they're about 80 to 100 cells and they've now changed and they become this um, cell called a blastocyst so it's over about 100 cells. It's called a blastocyst. And it's about um, the same time that an embryo naturally would come into a woman's uterus um, on day five. And we then put the embryo back into the woman's uterus. It's mm. a bit like having a pap smear. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully the idea is we have a little family of embryos to freeze for future wow. use. And freezing is really good nowadays. So when we freeze embryos, we've been doing it for about 40 years now and we've been following up all these thousands of children over the years and there appears to be no harm mm -hmm. when you freeze embryos. Mm. Wow. And then you can thaw an embryo later on and, and use it. Wow. Isn't that not amazing? Yeah, it is. I think it's pretty amazing yeah, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Especially I've always found it amazing that you can – create an embryo outside of the body yes. and watch yes. it. Yeah. Yes. And watch it. It feels like it's yes. like AI or something, like not real. Yes. Yeah. Well, we do have AI. Oh. <laughs> so in our laboratory at IVF Australia, we have something called artificial intelligence now that when we have our embryos in those special embryoscope incubators, um, this a artificial intelligence machine can look at these embryos now and as it does it, it gets better and better and it grades those embryos as to what the chances of that one embryo of ending up having a fetal heart. Wow. I mean, implanting and having a fetal heart. Wow. So we've got that technique now as well. So is that to know um, where you'd find what embryo would be successful? Correct. So it really helps with the best selection of the right. embryo. Yeah. So that would increase the success rate. It increases the, su the success rate. That's Crazy. right. So there's a lot of a lot is happening now with infertility and IVF and in the laboratory. Mm. So watch the space. Yeah. And you know we can do things like we can genetically look at the embryos now and look at all the chromosomes and test for special gene defects like mm. cystic fibrosis and Huntington's disease and. We can look at Duchenne muscular dystrophy. and Another great um, technique that we can use when we're creating embryos, uh, especially for people who are, ca are carriers for specific genes, and these are women who have the gene, the BRCA gene, the BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene for breast cancer. Because if you have that gene, then, of course, you're a as a woman, you have a 50% chance of developing breast cancer and possibly ovarian cancer, yeah. you know, like Angelina Jolie. And uh, often people don't want to pass those genes on to their offspring, you know, onto the next mm -hmm. generation. And so we can actually genetically test their embryos for the BRCA gene. Crazy. And test those embryos and of course embryos that are genetically normal and don't carry that gene uh, we know we can then put that back into that mother 
uh, to help her conceive a child and she won't be spreading that gene on to her future mm. generations. Now, is that not amazing? It it's, is. Yeah, so we do that a lot. What's yes. the chance, or I'm not um, familiar with the background, but what, how high are the chances of a woman with the BRCA gene passing that on? Actually, the, sorry, the BRCA gene, I think it's a one in, 20, one in four chance of passing it on. Okay. Wow. Yes, one in four, yeah. So what's that, 25% chance, okay. I should say. So it's it's a big interest it's to a, those yeah. women carrying it. That's right, yeah. yeah. What are some myths around IVF and maybe the biggest misconceptions? Or even around fertility. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, oh, God, there's so many myths. <laughs> I think one of the myths one of the myths is that um I'm always ovulating on day 14. Right. So when women start tracking their cycles, you know, and they always think, okay, I must not be ovulating on day 14 and they always have sex around that time. When in fact that doesn't always happen. And in fact every month one is different. And so every woman, her cycle can vary month to month. And so one month you might ovulate on your 10th day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the month after that you might ovulate on your 14th day. And a month later you might ovulate on your 16th day. Mm. And so that's one myth. It's not always the same time every month. And so which is why using ovulation sticks sometimes can help improve mm. that tracking. Mm-hmm. It can. Um, other myths are people still don't understand lifestyle. Okay. I think that's a big myth. People still go out and party and have a good time and, you know, boogie down and have, you know, smoke and, and a little bit overweight. And I think that's okay. And what they don't realise that, yes, it will affect their fertility. Mm. And you'd be surprised when we, I start talking to people, um, they didn't know that. Mm. And the myth had always been, you know, oh, I'll feel pregnant, no. you know, yes. as well. And people are taught at school, this is another myth, people we are taught at school that be careful, you'll get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> like it you happens know, on the yeah. that's right, happens of on the wind. The, yes. Yeah. And, in fact, all women think when they first start, I'm going to be pregnant in the first three months. Yeah. That's what women think. Mm. And then it doesn't happen. Mm. And, of course, and then the anxiety kicks mm. in, what's yeah. wrong with me? Yeah when there may be nothing wrong with you. And so that is a really big myth because, just to give you some statistics, the average chance of getting pregnant is 20% per month. And so it can take up to 12 months to get pregnant. That's the normal chances. And so by 12 months trying, 80% of women would have conceived. Mm. Amongst or in this twelve months, the stress builds up, builds and the stress up. builds up, and the stress so you're builds starting up. to totally. stress now, and That's you're right. decreasing yes. your chances. Yes. yes, and I get so many couples coming to me, um, absolute well, woman. It's really woman because yeah. men always say, "Oh, you're fine, just yeah. you know, don't worry about it." <laughs> but I get women coming to me all the time, just bursting into tears yeah. the minute they come into my clinic, going, "What's wrong? What am I doing yeah. wrong?" You know, why aren't I getting pregnant? Yeah. And often you say, look, it will happen. This is what you need to do. Step one, do this. Step one, you know, get your weight in order. Step two, um, eat a healthy diet. Step three, be on folic acid because all women trying to conceive need to take folic acid. Um, And then you put them on a step-by-step plan. Mm -hmm. And you can even help them track and you teach them about their menstrual cycle. And more than not, they conceive. And that's why I set up that. Conceive Please Fertility Kit was just to help women go through and do all those steps and just to empower them to conceive naturally. 
And that's a good um, starter before people, you know, assume that they need IVF. Yes, yes that's right. Yes. Because people come to me at four months of trying and think they need IVF and they mm, don't. Yeah, yeah not, more than often they don't. People who do need IVF are when you're older. So when you're over the age of 37, your fertility drops significantly. And then over the age of 30, even more so. You know, it's just this downhill path. And so more and more reasons for doing IVF is actually advanced female age. Okay. We may not feel old at 38, uh, but because 38 is now like the 28, yes. you know, the new 28, but your eggs are not. And so um, you'd be considering speeding up conceiving uh, with fertility help when you're probably, when you're getting older. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if a factor comes up really quickly, like male factor and the sperm is poor or there's a tubal blockage or there's endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then you need to do that. I'm just thinking about other myths as well. Women think they need to lie down after sex. Oh, put yes. Your legs up. Yeah, put, put your, your legs, legs up. up. <laughs> yes. So that's a you stand on your head, you know, but you don't need to, you don't need to do that. Right. <laughs> no, you don't. And, in fact, what happens is when your partner ejaculates into your vagina, um, the fastest sperm, these guys know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just ingrained in their in their DNA of each sperm is that, you know, the fastest will swim through into the cervix right. if it's the appropriate time in the month and and then um, go through to, to meet the egg and mm. hopefully fertilise. And actually I want to add another point. Another uh, myth is women don't quite understand their fertile window. And so you have to understand that when the egg is released and ovulated and picked up by the fallopian tube, it only has 24 hours to fertilise. Right. So there is a bit of sense of urgency yes, there. Yes, yes. So you really need to know your fertile days. Mm. Okay. And, and if you get those fertile days wrong, then you'll miss that month. Yeah. So just to give woman an idea, because we have 12 periods a year, we're ovulating 12 times a year. And so... Remember, you've only got 12 chances a year. Mm-hmm. And so if you miss that one month, then you've missed that one chance in that month and you've only got 11 chances left. If you're a woman who's got polycystic ovarian syndrome and you're only ovulating four times a year, you've only got four chances that year. And if you miss that timing, because you have no idea sometimes when you're ovulating, yeah. then you can understand how egg and sperm may never meet yes. to fertilise. And remember, the egg only has 24 hours mm-hmm. to fertilise and then it will undergo cell death. Would those women be having sex multiple times in that day? Don't like? Do you get people... Would that work? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just thought if you have four chances, would you be having sex yeah. Yeah. ten times the, on that one window day? Yes. On the relationship, yeah. scheduling sex. Yeah. Probably. No, you could probably, you could probably only have it once <laughs> that day. <laughs> but we always tell our women that the, mo- the your fertile days, the best fertile days, so we do cycle tracking at IVF mm. Australia um, when you're tracking um, when you get what's called the LH surge, which means the hormones that we talked about earlier from the brain, when they surge, uh, what it does is it goes to the ovary and tells the ovary to ovulate mm-hmm. in the next sort of 36 to 48 hours. And so having sex two days prior to ovulation and day of ovulation are the best days. Mm, okay. Yeah. 
it's it seems that education is key and tracking accurately or getting education yes. around tracking accurately. Yeah. Yes, true. And studies, they've done some great studies around this and women who track their cycles and know exactly when their timing for time sexual intercourse have a 30% higher chance of getting pregnant than those who don't. So it is a really great technique. It is. And it works. Yeah. yeah, And it's it's free. That's right. You know, or if you go and get some ovulation sticks, Mm. you know, it might just cost you 40 bucks. Yeah. But it's a really great way to track and just pinpoint your fertile day and that will increase your odds of getting pregnant. Mm, that's brilliant. Rather than winging it. Um, my last, I think one of our last questions, do you reckon? Yeah. Um, is around the future fertility. So will the generation, what's that, Gen X under us, millennials, Gen Y, what <laughs> challenges are they going to face, um, you know, like environmental factors, lifestyle, everyone's having kids um, when they're older, microplastics, pollution, what do you see as being, you know, quite a significant challenge that, that they're going to face? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the biggest challenge for women who are young, young women now who are g- coming through will be delaying motherhood. Mm. The good news, though, for them is that egg freezing is going to get better and better and that will be an option for women going through and coming up through schools and university. But delaying motherhood, I think, would be one. And I think other factors, I think climate change will have an effect. Yeah. I do. I think people will think, do I really want to have children right now? Mm. I think that will have an impact on people's decision-making yeah. Yeah. as well. I think um, men, other challenges, men need to step up. Yeah. Guys, you need to step up <laughs> because it takes two to have a child. And take this is another myth, by the way. Um, the myth is that it's always a woman's fault when there's difficulty conceiving, and it's like 50 50. Okay, it's not a myth that it's always a woman's issue, it's actually a man's issue as well. And men need to step up and be supportive with their partners. And consider fatherhood as well and not delaying fatherhood. Um, and I think it's really important to get out there. So I'm so glad that your team and you guys are trying to educate people about this because um, it's the only way to empower people. Yeah. Mm. It's the only way to empower women and men, you know, about their fertility and how they can change. Yeah, yeah definitely through education. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you don't care until... It's in your realm. That's but, right. But we yes. need to start thinking about future proofing. Yes. Yeah. Future proofing. Correct. Yeah.